Hi, good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the first Arms Boom and Lag project. I'm Arms Boom and Lag, and this is a brand new live streaming show. This is a bit of a passing uh, project for me. Uh, it's really good to be doing this. Feels great to be back uh, on the air somewhat, and it even feels better to welcome my next guest here to the show. Uh, this guy I've known for a number of years. Uh, he is somebody who has been absolutely critical to some of the success that I've seen and had on AM 800 uh, back in the day doing the radio shows. He's somebody that I respect tremendously. Uh, and he's just one of those people that you know that is an all-around awesome dude. Uh, I'm very happy, very honored, and very excited to reconnect with him in this virtual world that we are now in. Uh, this is Luke Michaud on the Arms Boom and Lag Project. Hey, man, uh, what an honor to have you on this that has been a long time coming. Brother, how are you? I'm very well, especially after that introduction, man. Wow. <laughs> How do I talk that? <laughs> well, you just you just be you. And I think that's that's one of the reasons I think over the years you and I have somewhat stayed in touch and uh, you know, give people a context who are watching the show here. Uh, the project is about, you know, highlighting people here in YQG that uh, you know, you may not necessarily see in traditional news, you may not hear about uh, on the radio and TV, but they're making a significant impact in their different areas. So you're going to hear a lot of good news, a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, viewpoints and things to really uh, hopefully highlight some really cool stuff that's happening, pandemic or no pandemic here in Windsor-Essex. But, um, I, you know, where do we even begin? Where, where do you want to start here? It's been a long time for you and I, right? Well, we started in radio together. Um Arms and I both went to Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts, and um, about a week before my graduation, I was just told about a few opportunities in Windsor. We didn't know each other at all, um, and just basically, you should apply for an internship of sorts at AMA 100, and uh, cue in uh, Arms Boomin' Like, Promotions Director of uh, AMA 100, and uh, basically just got me in for an interview and got me going right away. And it's like, just like felt like I got hired full, full time at the radio station, like right after that. And it never really stopped. I was there for four years. Him and I have been through about a thousand different ventures between then and now. Uh, but it's funny because like every time we see each other, it's just like we pick it up right for it. We left it off, you know, back then. So it's definitely one of those relationships over the ages. That's uh, that's blossomed over time even. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I mean, man, you go back to, what was that, like 2007, 2006-ish? And uh, it's like a different life, right? I mean, we had flip phones back then. <laughs> we, were, we were doing the QWERTY texting, like you got to press A, t -t 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 -t, you know? My Nokia. It was, uh, the Nokia. <laughs> those things would like survive a nuclear blast. But I had hair on my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had like some less graying hair, but I think that's all pandemic and fatherhood uh, induced in stress, right? So yeah. that's something I wanted to talk to you about too, because uh, I know you're in the realm of fatherhood too, but yeah, we had some good times. I mean, uh, Luke was one of the type of people when we were doing the radio shows on AM 800, um, where I was so happy that he would be assigned to produce the shows that I was involved in, because he's one of those people who uh, really took the time to highlight uh, an urgency when you do broadcast radio and when you do things live, it's, it's always interesting because anything can happen and there's a rush to it. And I, I mean, how many times would I would text you or I would call you and we would take a look at, say, a winter storm or something if we were doing the Saturday or Sunday morning show. And all of a sudden we knew that everything that we had planned for that specific show would be thrown out the window and we would be doing something very different. Um, I remember the based one on that. Storm, uh, that we had where Mark McKenzie had to pull my car into the parking lot. 
so then I could, because he was voice tracked or he was like, he was live, but not for like another half hour in 89X or something like that. And I came in for the morning shift and we just, we couldn't get my, I had like a Saturn Ion, this 2006 Saturn Ion. And I could not get this front wheel drive electric steering car into our parking lot. And it got to the point where it was just like, we had an overnight guy that hadn't been trained on the other shifts. And if you've done production and radio, like you, you don't just step into that. It's a very difficult job. So it, basically we had to like rush, grab Mark, make sure Mark could get my car in the parking lot so that we can go in. And the moment I walked in, the phone lines were already lit up and everybody was, it was accident after accident. And I remember it was like, it was like three and a half hours of nonstop coverage. I think we might have even lost the transformer during that time. It was like the craziest shift I ever had. And then all four stations crashed at the same time, which was like, of course, me, the, yes, the only guy that was there. It was my job. So you had to go on live for like 30 minutes. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> and, and, and that's where we start to, I mean, I mean, that was the power of, of radio, right? And that's the power of, you know, connecting to the audience too, that, you know, the phone lines would light up like the 4th of July, right? And everybody would be calling in and you'd get those updates. And I think at some point, like, you know, we would have to type in on the screen, right? You'd have a screen in the studio where all these people would call in and, you know, Luke was so good just saying, you know, Mark, Tecumseh, accident. And then I would just go off the rails on that instead of doing some sort of uh, <laughs> uh, background. Living, basically, everything got wiped out because nobody yeah. could make it in for the experts on call. Like, no, hey, it was just, that was a disaster, but it was like one of the most fun shifts that I ever had in radio because, you know, when, when can you talk about something like that happening, right? And that, and that brings me to my next point, right? Because, you know, we had some good times during the AM 800 days, but I knew when you came on board and you were working with us, I knew this guy is so full of talent. This guy is so creative. He's dedicated, which is a huge, I mean, you can be talented and creative, but if you're not dedicated, I mean, it doesn't really sync up, but you had all those skills and then you left AM 800 for other things. And that's when things kind of went left field, right? We kind of, we've parted ways a bit. Well, yeah, I went straight for the government job. Um, the nine to five, I'd live like a very, very normal life for a good seven and a half years. And by normal, I mean my sense of normal. I was still touring on the weekends whenever I could with one man's opinion. And I was still doing things um, a little bit left of center, even for their taste of the government and whatnot. But uh, that's me. I mean, like I've never really been kind of a sit in the pocket kind of individual unless I'm playing music, which is basically my job to do that. So um, I, yeah, it's, it's just like, going to that regimented lifestyle from radio of all things, which is just like crazy hours and crazy shifts. And it's not really a, like a very consistent thing to just like a very regimented, straightforward life. It, it was definitely a big change for me. And uh, it definitely took me into a completely weird, like different network for that time being. It wasn't really like comfortable there, but it was the existence that I was living. And, you know, for the time that I was doing that, it was pretty cool. It worked out great for me, but I was really happy to jump back in like as a gypsy as soon as I could, you know, the first opportunity I had to, to just become a full timer in the industry again. And, you know, it's funny enough, like the, you were, you were a bigger part of that than I think, you know, because it was by virtue of uh, playing fork and cork and then doing the noon report with you and then doing the CTV news. And like in the morning I'd driven in from working with Spencer Rice from uh, Kenny versus Penny and all that happened in one day. And I remembered like, I like had it pretty good when I was doing this all the time and not a lot of people really get those opportunities, especially four of them in a single day. So I think that was a like, kind of the spark for the turnaround in my head that said, 
you know what? I need to figure out how I'm going to do this again full time. I still have those photos. Those actually came up in my timeline on Facebook. Um, I remember that day. I, I you know, um, it was one of those days when, you know, when I was doing the double duty between radio and television, um, I always try to take the content that we would have on the noon show on AM 800 because they would put my noon show on location pre pretty much. I think at one point it was like once a week, especially in the summertime for all the different events that we were spending, but uh, sponsoring. But we did Fork and Cork, like you said. And that's where I met uh, your compadre, as I call him, yeah. Mr. Michael Fee, right? And you guys just jammed out. I think what you guys do was it Buck Cherry or you did some stain? You did, I think you did a cover of something on the show. I thought it was, it was, it was something. What's that? It might have been Black Crows or just Black Crows, Black, Black Crows. I think yeah, it was something. Crows, it was something very 89X, right? Yeah. Um, Mike, um, Mike was somebody that I, I knew early on in different capacities, you know, through, through networks of friends and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, when I saw him as an artist for the first time, I knew that he had something special because he's like, he doesn't necessarily play any instruments except for like his vocals are the instrument and he does like everything really, really well. So it was really cool for a guy who's like a geeky techie guy that wants to be in the background and do the music. It's cool to have a Michael Fee guy who just works really, really hard. And then on top of that, like he was a workhorse man. And on top of that, he was dedicated and the studio sessions were super quick because he just knew what he wanted. So he was kind of definitely a big launcher for me. Um, getting into the production world. I remember just like wanting to impress him and sending him the beat to Lucky to say, oh, hey, like I'd, I'd made a thing, you know, what do you think of it? And I just wanted to work with him in that capacity and we've been doing it ever since. So, I mean, originally I was just hired on to do guitar, but it was just like a relationship in which I think we both realized it's like, we're a good team. We have a good like uh, dynamic going on between the two of us. And uh, like he really picked up in places that I was downright lazy. Like aesthetics, like I'm, like even right now, I'm like I'm a mess. Uh, Mike isn't. <laughs> Mike is the opposite of a mess aesthetically, you know. And, and, uh, that well or ever, <laughs> and uh, usually it does get done for me a little bit too much, which I should be alarmed about. We've got a little bit of, uh, I guess, internet issues here. Oh, Luke's yeah, going to rejoin us here in a bit. No, it's okay. I mean, this is a first. Hey, when they invented Disneyland, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean didn't even work for six months as soon as they opened up the door. <laughs> I say. So that's I all good. I but you were saying about, you were saying about uh, Mike. You know, when you're able to connect with somebody and really hook up with somebody that has that talent, like Mike O'Fee, um, it was sort of like this match made in heaven for you guys and. Um, you know, connecting to with him on that sort of platform, that must have been very satisfying for you to have somebody of that, you know, equal talent to help you out. Well, he was a big name. There, there's no doubt. I actually, a few of my buddies, like early on, a few of the clients, like I don't want to leave out Dave Russell, who was also like a definitely an, o, an OG Highlander, and uh, uh, and even like the Border Patrol, like and the Miscos, like I, I got some big names pretty early. Uh, which was a big part, even Spencer Rice, like doing producing songs for him. Uh, that was actually a really cool thing. These guys really helped me out um, just kind of like learning that side of the industry uh, that I really just hadn't been privy to in a long time. You know, when I came, when Mike and I kind of recruited each other, I guess you could say, um, I was pretty dormant for a while. Like I hadn't really done much. I was just kind of playing at home, 
doing my own little productions, learning logic again, um, just like buying small gear to just kind of keep doing this thing. Um, so we, like early and I didn't have much, but these guys came anyways. And I was like a sign. <laughs> and, and you brought some of those guys too, I think, uh, to the live stream. So we got to give a shout out to a couple of these guys. You got Michael Fee in the live stream now who's commenting saying, hey, that sexy truck in the background. Show the sod. Well, yeah, Mike and I sodded my lawn on Monday. Yeah, we, I stay I close saw, to these people. <laughs> I, I saw that on Facebook. I was like, oh, I was actually looking for some sod. I should have I should have messaged Luke and uh, drove out and grabbed it. But we appreciate Mike. Uh, in like an alarmingly quick fashion. It was just gone. <laughs> that's like Facebook, right? You put anything free on Facebook and, you know, they come they come a running. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of people saying, uh, Scott Rainey saying, what up? And <laughs> Don Malosh, uh, you know. Got to work, work Labonte in here. Great local artist. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Some pretty good local people, right, from from the music scene, like, you know, talking about some of the people you've worked with. And have you found that Windsor has been that sort of uh, brewing, melting pot for local artists for music? I mean, you've been around in a number of bands. I remember going to see you at the Chubby Pickle uh, during our 89X days, and you were with One Man's Opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're doing some solid shows with those guys. I mean, those were some good times. That, that's a two-year run that, like, I don't know if I'll ever see again, right? I mean, um, we were young. We were super young. I think I was 20 when that song came out. And, um, yeah, so it, it was crazy for the first little bit because, yep, from, like, playing 100 people at the Pickle to all of a sudden you were playing to sellouts at the Pickle or you were playing to bigger venues in Windsor. Every time there was a national coming through that you liked, you might have had an opportunity to land on the bill. Um, things that like, I never would have imagined. I got, you know, I was like jamming backstage with Dallas Green before our show. <laughs> like, and we, he's got my custom guitar in one hand. I got his, like, those are stories that I, I just couldn't imagine not having anymore. Like now that I've got no experience it. Um, but it's definitely a run and it's definitely something that like never came to an end per se, but it's something that I think in hindsight, um, I don't, I don't believe, um, that I, I was aware that it was going to end at some point in time at the time, you know, like I, I guess for me, it's like, I thought when it was in the moment that I was going to be able to live that way forever. And I came with a really harsh lesson, which is this industry that you can never be stagnant and you can never really stop going. Otherwise you're just going to fall out of relevance because there are other people who are. And uh, you know, we go back to a guy like Mike, uh, you know, from back in the day, he never lost that, that drive and that ethic and even the guys in the band in like one man's opinion, like Josh never lost that drive. And, um, but you know, like you just come to the realization that the industry is harsh and it's like, you're only as good as the thing that you just put out, unfortunately. So, you know, we had a great run. We still play together all the time, whenever we can, usually weddings, um, like as a specialty package, but uh, it it's, was like a super huge learning experience it's definitely a rare run. I don't think a lot of people will get to experience it, but I mean, Windsor's got that kind of hotbed of talent that I wouldn't be uh, like surprised if like a dozen people could break out tomorrow. And it's so crazy busy and it's so crazy. Like everybody's so good that there's like five or six guys just like me that are engineering full time in the city that are making pretty killer livings on it just because by virtue of the fact that there are just way too many people, which we think is a great problem to have. As producers. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember when you used to play at the Manchester, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm going to bring up Chubby Pickle again, because that was, to me, that was my, my era of rock and roll. 
here in Windsor, Essex. I mean, we were there when that venue launched. We were there when that venue was really thriving. And we were there when the venue sort of faded off into the sunset, so to speak. And, you know, you guys used to play the stage. You had the guys from Area 51 playing the stage. Uh, you had some big names like Ashes. Blue, Ashes of Soma. You had uh, Never Ending White Lights. Uh, I mean, the list goes a corn. That was a huge, um, yeah. even though they only played like barely one song and we waited five hours for them to show up on the stage. Um, Welcome to the world of touring, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I remember sitting there like we were working it for eight for 89X and, you know, we were like, oh my God, like it's been like three hours. Like, how do we even justify, you know, these people that are like wrapped around the building on Olette Avenue. And then, you know, there's this tour bus and you know they're on there, right? Yeah, and then they come know. out. Yeah, they come out that you want these on the, you know, Chuck from 89X is up on the stage saying his thing. And then, yeah, they play a little riff. And then Bob's your mom, they're back on the bus. That's it. Yeah, Jonathan Davis, uh, Davis was playing drums. <laughs> yeah. I remember Focal Party was playing that night, man. Uh, they were playing on like their stuff. I, it's just, it's just, it, it was a good time. I, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like we're a bunch of old, you know, has-beens, right? Or, you know, like, oh, those were the days in Windsor yeah. when we used to go. But, you know, it was just, it was a good time. And, you know, when you're able to play these live gigs and then, you know, really build your brand in the music scene in Windsor-Essex, that must have been very, very benefiting for you because I know when you get into that corporate environment and you're in that corporate world, something didn't feel right for you, right? It's, it's just kind of like, okay, well, this is a good gig, but I know that my heart, my passion lies somewhere else. I think there's like a really good solid two or three years in which I absolutely like love that job, that, that, that CRA job. Um, I never, like I said, I never hated it, but there was like a two or three years in which I was, uh, you know, getting some good performance out of even myself and I was motivated to do it. But when the music thing kind of reemerged, uh, it was very difficult for me to ignore it. And simply put, because it's just like naturally, it's kind of where I'm in my element, you know, even if I'm at a party and I see like a guitar in the corner, it's just like my inclination to go play that guitar. Like I'll ask, but now I will anyways, I wouldn't, like <laughs> uh, I'll ask, but like, you know, I'll, I just, I swear I'm more most comfortable with just like a stringed instrument in my hands. And uh, it's just like, it never leaves you. And even at the beginning, like I didn't know necessarily where my balance was going to lie between the gigs and the studio work. I just knew that there was like enough of it to keep me busy, to keep my bills going uh, paid. And um, so it was, it was kind of an obvious choice by the time it came to light because I had an opportunity to CRA, like we'll give you a, a year to figure it out. They gave me a leave, uh, professional development leave, and I got to try my job for a year before I actually left. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, wow. sweet man. Like, get a government job if you're like, if you if you want something solid, and you know, it, it's it's a good gig. It's I have nothing bad to say about my time there. It's just not me. You know, it, it's just not. I know for sure. Like, I feel bad for some of the people that I worked with because I'm like totally a cinder block you know, on some kind of soft surface when then like somebody meets me for the first time. I just sound like I'm like in, out in the potato fields in Candyland too. Like, you know, I just, I don't know, man. It's just, I, I know what my life sounds like to people. And especially when you're working a corporate job and you're doing that stuff on the weekends. Um, it's just like, you don't seem normal to people. <laughs> and then when you leave that job to do that stuff on the weekends, you seem even less normal to people. But I mean, it's the best. I, I love my job. So. 
I think it's a testament to you, though, for following your passion. And I think that's something that the world needs a lot more of. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not one to say that, you know, folks who have, you know, families to feed and, 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 you know, things financially to achieve on a certain level when you're, when you're married and in a long-term relationship or you have children, which I want to talk to you about that, because not only are we former broadcast guys, but we're also dads uh, now too, which adds a whole nother element. Yeah. Shout out to, first of all, let's talk about that. Not one, you you got the, you you got the two, you got the two for one, so to speak. When you found out about (laughs) your two beautiful babies, like what's going through your mind? I often say that to my wife, Carrie. I'm like, can you imagine if we have twins? Like, oh my God. We knew that we wanted to have at least two kids. And we knew that we had like a, a certain window in which we wanted to achieve that. And kids were definitely a big part of us um, early on. It was um, it was definitely like, um, I don't know, like it, it was never, it was always part of both of our visions as far as what a relationship is. And um, so when we came into that with uh, and we found out about the multiples, it's one of the things that like had thrown us off right away is that it happened really fast. Um, and um, like after we started trying, so we were kind of like almost kind of guarded uh, with our excitement. And then like, you know, certain things were happening, certain things were weird. Then we went to go for a checkup because it just like wasn't like the things that we had read about. And um, so we go in and, and Lucy's in the imaging thing and um in the booth like with the with the the tech and i'm like out with her sister in the lobby and like i'm just the whole time like i guess we were just kind of preparing ourselves to to, you know just get a tough news and start again and then we walk in and they bring me into the meeting it's all ominous and it's just like oh what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and i jump in and um they you know start doing the ultrasound it's like oh here's baby and here's the heartbeat and everything's good. And I'm, oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm so relieved. And then uh, here's baby number two. <laughs> and that's when like, we all just kind of looked at each other. And I mean, I know for me, there was like a, just a moment of shock and disbelief, but it's it's really what we wanted. Not necessarily like the first time around, but we wanted to. So we were super elated. And then we found out later that they were actually like, we had a boy and a girl, Nolan and Estelle. And that was even crazier to us. It, it was just like an absolutely like surreal experience. And then they were born <laughs> and uh, I can Changes your life. Describe, yeah. Probably like the most difficult five months I've ever experienced as far as just learning a new job, learning a new life. And, and, and that realization hits you, right? It's like mm-hmm. when you become a dad, it's like, Oh my God, like, this I am in charge of this human being, and I I am, and in your case too, <laughs> yeah. uh, I I am responsible for them, which is an which to me is very empowering as a as a man, right? It's empowering to you because it's okay. For me, it's always been like, now my son is not like I'm not number one, and I'm okay with that. Like my son is my priority. My son is my driving force and I will do whatever it takes to protect him and make him flourish. Right. And now you've got two, two of these little uh, bundles of joy. And, and you say to yourself, man, like I still want to do the, the, the musician field. I, I still want to be jamming and doing my, my music and, and producing. And, and we'll talk about Highland studios, which you're broadcasting from tonight. But I still got to be a dad. And then you do that dance 
right? You do that dance to see how it works. Five months though, the first five months, pff, you're tired. Oh yeah, I, I um, so we like eventually to kind of deal with it at night. We like we had each had our designated baby, and like no matter what happened, you followed your baby. But Lucy's baby started sleeping through the night like three months before mine did. <laughs> And she was at like nine months by the time I was said and done. And I was still going like double feeding some nights, like just like nine months without a REM basically. I think uh, her folks watched them like one night and I slept for 11 hours straight because I was just dying, <laughs> like nothing left in the tank. Um, they are totally in charge of us and I like it. <laughs> uh, they like are the most, I don't know, it's the best thing of, of all time. I mean, I, I, I could never imagine my life without them, but they're here, you know what I mean? And, um, it's what we wanted. We weren't necessarily ready for it to kick our, you know, our butts the way that it did right off the butt, uh, like the top. But, you know, once we got into the rhythm and the kids started getting their personalities and everything else, like, wow, what a rewarding experience. And I see now like the most basic of things, like the learnings where you're there every day and you see them like pick up something new. It's like the most amazing thing in the world to you, even though to the people outside looking in are like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, uh, at least I, when I was younger, I'm sure I was like that. And now I'm just like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, this is the best. Like, it's just the most incredible thing to watch in the universe. Um, we don't have are that. They music are, are they musically inclined? Uh, have they shown, you know, uh, any kind of talent like that? Uh, I mean, it's kind of early because they're going to be one on Tuesday. Uh, but like they, they've shown like an interest. Uh, I definitely show them a bunch of different instruments. I, I definitely play for them all the time. So they um, definitely, like, I, I could see that they'll be maybe into it. I mean, I don't want to force anything on them. This is like, at the end of the day, you know, this is my career. It's a way of life, but my kids can do whatever they want. Like, but if they want to jump into the music side of it, well, they're well covered because we have like every instrument on the man here for the most part. So, um, and obviously all the microphones to capture them. So, you know, it'd be fun to have like a little dream team that wants to jam with daddy, but you know, I won't push it too hard. I'll, I'm going to let them make their own passion. That's a good dad. That is a good dad. You know, I always said like, if Liam gets into sports, I'm screwed. Cause <laughs> I, I am like the worst, like I am like not athletic at all. Like I listen, like if, and if he wants he wants to get into hockey. I will be the guy at the rink at five in the morning. I once get into soccer. Uh, I'm good with that too. So uh, if you're just joining us, this is the arms boom and lag project. Uh, my name is arms. My guest tonight is Mr. Luke Michaud. He's a solid individual. Um, somebody I've known for a number of years and uh, we're actually interacting with you. This is what I love about this live stream technology that we're uh, I've been playing around with, with the last couple of weeks. We've been asking people to comment who are watching the live feed. Um, and we've got quite a few people chiming in as we continue to uh, chat here. Bridget's here saying, you know, in regards to Highland Studios, best studio, talented individual in Windsor. So proud of you, Luke. Um, you've had such a big impact uh, in terms of people in Windsor, Essex, who are musically talented. And this sort of you know, kind of hones you into Highland Studios. Now, I had a chance to go to Highland Studios back during my CBC days. Um, I had a chance to interview you, some of the talented uh, musicians you were working with at the time. Um, you guys have a move shop. Now you are uh, in what, South South Walkerville? South yeah. Walkerville area? Okay. Yeah, we built like a structure from the ground up. Uh, nice. Nice, very nice. And, and then Highland Studios, <laughs> for somebody who's not familiar with Highland Studios, give us a walkthrough. What is it? So the concept of the studio, like as a specialty, is definitely um geared towards singer songwriters who don't have a band 
I, I do. I record bands and stuff too, but the, the whole concept of it was like, you have a song, I'll finish your song. And uh, it's just by virtue of the fact that I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have started a lot of instruments when I was young. And I play like guitar, bass, drums, lap steel, banjo, a little bit of piano, uh, mandolin, like um, just like all the main, you know, uh, studio instruments for people who want bands. <laughs> um, and I can do them to a click track and, and produce professional sounding takes um, at those things. So it was always my niche was always like to try to ghostwrite music uh, with singer songwriters. It's funny. I just saw the co comment from Bridget. Bridget's like the perfect Highland, uh, I call it, I call them Highlanders. Like they're people who are part of like the Highland community. Uh, she's like, she's like the quintessential Highland, um, client slash, you know, artist because she, um, understands what she wants to sound like. And she paints that picture extremely well. So for me, I basically just have to produce that image. And when somebody like her, who's like, I've already written the chords. Here's my chord chart. Here's my acoustic take. Here's my vocal make the song and then she comes back in afterwards and she does, she redoes her parts in the studio. A lot of it's done by correspondence. And um, she's so incredibly accurate with how she describes it. Uh, just like Mike and Dave uh, from before, like, and, and Rick actually is very good at that too. I don't want to leave anybody else. I'm just going to stop naming people because it's going to be too many. Um, but like, when you can do that and you can explain it to me, it's not difficult to do it. It's, it's just like she, you know, she had a very specific feel for her music. And I feel like every single time, like we just knock it out of the park because she knows what she wants and she's already done all the legwork. So that's like my specialty for sure. And I do commercials and stuff too. I love that stuff. Okay. So I, I want to talk about the commercial stuff <laughs> in the next little bit, because I think that is so crucial to, you know, what everybody's experiencing here in Windsor Essex, the COVID, COVID-19 really across the globe. I want to talk about pivoting from doing live shows and then getting into the realm of doing commercial work at Highland Studios. But, you know, in the live stream, we've got all these great comments. You know, people who aren't familiar with your work are starting to get to know you here, which is, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to do this show. Uh, it's about good news. It's about connecting uh, Windsor-Essex and highlighting some of the folks who really make our fabric of what our city and region is together. Um, and, and, and to talk about, you know, common threads, whether it's parenthood. You know, Luke is a parent. I am a parent. You know, having those sort of dad moments. And there's a few of them. And then also making connections with other folks in our audience, like uh, this comment that we received. Oh. Uh, Luke is the reason I am here today, <laughs> where I am today. I'm holding laundry on a Friday night. Uh, <laughs> I need details on this. Like, uh, I need so, details. so Mel is actually uh, married to one of my best friends from, well, for life, really, uh, Eric Egan. And uh, basically the story goes, uh, she was hanging out with a hockey buddy of mine, John Murphy. And I got a text uh, from John saying, what are you doing right now? And I said, oh, I'm just hanging out in my basement, my parents' basement with Eric. And um, he mentioned that he was with Mel. And I, we just kind of both agreed mutually, like, these people, I, Mel and Eric should meet. <laughs> and it was like just kind of like one of those instincts, I guess. It was weird. And then um, so they did. They met in my parents' basement, and they're married with kids now. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. I, I got to MC the wedding. Um, I mean, like they're lifelong friends. We we absolutely adore them. And uh, it's yeah, it was just kind of like a, a weird thing. Like um, I've always kind of pride. Like my pride is definitely in my ability to make connections. I'm better at it 
at my age now because I'm a little bit of a tamer version of my prior self. But even back then, I, I still had the touch, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, I just I like to introduce networks. I like to introduce people. And I that just happens to be one of them that really worked out great. Musician, father, producer, matchmaker. <laughs> right? Could add that. Yeah, why not? Why not? Right? Somebody I mean, it's always. <laughs> hey. And she seems very happy. I know uh, Melissa. Uh, again, this is like five degrees of of Kevin Bacon here in in Windsor, Essex. Like Melissa, I we knew. Uh, my wife Carrie and I know uh, through the uh, Ronald McDonald House and and the Big Red Shoe Run. And some of the fundraising that we have done uh, for the Ronald McDonald House uh, since Liam got home from Sick Kids, so we've got to know Melissa very well. I know Melissa talks to Carrie about some fundraising ideas, and um, she's just been just solid, another solid individual uh, here in the city that does some amazing stuff behind the scenes too. So we're, we're very happy to know her. And uh, when we had that connection come through, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. But <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, like, <laughs> you're pl you're playing live shows. Uh, you're having fun. You've made the pivot out of government gig. Uh, all of a sudden, the world changes. March 2020, COVID. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, you know, there's panic toilet paper buying. Uh, <laughs> people are wearing masks. You know, it's a global pandemic. How much? I mean, I kind of know what kind of pivot you've made, but I mean, that's got to be jarring. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing charity galas, which I know that you've done some for uh, my current position at the Humane Society, which we're hoping to bring back uh, over the next little bit in terms of getting your, uh, yeah, we got to get you for our, when we can do an in-person gala, you guys are going to play. Um, but I mean, you're doing these galas, you're doing fundraisers, you're doing bar nights, and then all of a sudden pandemic hits. What's that like for you? How jarring is that for you? It was a really, um, it was a really weird thing because at the very beginning of it, we just didn't know how long it was going to be. So I think at the beginning, I, you know, like it's just nothing in, nothing out. I was able uh, at the time I was in the middle of a little bit of a shift in, in workloads where the studio was starting to get really busy. Um, and I was starting to burn out and, you know, we had the gigs. I, my, my voice is burning out. Um, there was just like so many things and I was like literally at the end of my peak and then COVID hit and I'm not going to lie for like the first eight weeks, I was like, Oh man, this is great. <laughs> not really, but like, just like staying at home, not ruining my voice. Like I was playing like five gigs a week for like five, six years straight. You know, uh, there must be about 2,500, 3,000 gigs in my lifetime that I've been paid to do. And uh, I was starting to wear out a little bit trying to find that balance. And then it was just like, we were, we were just about to have children. Uh, when COVID hit. So I think for the first little bit, it really wasn't that crazy because, you know, I got my eight weeks of rest and then the babies were born. And then um, when the kids were born, that was like a good five or six month adjustment that, I mean, I obviously wish that it never happened as far as the pandemic goes, but if you had to time it, it couldn't have worked out better because I couldn't even imagine myself trying to, uh, to try to gig uh, at the same time as trying to raise these twins at the same time as nobody being allowed to do anything. So it was just like <clears throat> this crazy like timing where I think for the first little bit, it, it was kind of fortuitous in, in a way, but obviously like I would have never wanted it to happen. I mean, like I love the <clears throat> the groups that I'm in and we're busy and it's just like we were in full swing and it just was like a jackhammer came and tore everything down. But on the other flip of the coin, What's super cool about it is that the studio 
kind of gained a lot more traction through that time where it's become survivable as its own thing. And that was always a goal. And it's really the first year in which that happened. So it timed itself well, but the losses were still pretty catastrophic. I'm not going to like sit here and say that it was awesome, like on my wallet or for my company, but at the same time, you know, we found a way. And for the first eight weeks of COVID, I had so much work going on. It was still like mixing and correspondence and I was still getting paid for jobs that I had done for months before. So it really didn't hit hard, hard until um, we were on full shutdown and studios weren't even allowed to be open. And it was like, I think like the only month that I actually ended up taking a serve other than when we had COVID. <laughs> and um, I remember just it sinking in and saying to myself, like, I think we're going to be in this one for a long haul, but never for a second did I think it was going to be this long. Now we did have like a little break in the middle in which like gigs had started coming back and I was starting to make money again on the booking agency and stuff like things that I do that not a lot of people know about just, you know, helps pays the bills. Um, it's just, uh, it was just, it was a shock. And now it's like, it's like, a, it's like a bad joke that doesn't end <laughs> like for me, because, you know, we talk about reopening and things and the fact of the matter is, is that 50% of my livelihood is on hold until we get past phase three or, or beyond. And that's like a scary thing. I'm happy that it's still rolling in the studio. I'm happy that we're allowed to operate. I'll be with restrictions. You know, they're manageable. Um, but it's definitely frustrating in a way. Like, and, and you don't know how to feel because there's people who get sick and die from this thing. And then there's people like us who, you know, we got sick, but we recovered. And then it like, there's so many variables. Um, I don't want to be in a policymaker's shoes right now uh, at all, for sure. Like it's an unenviable position, but you're, we're kind of watching like the world around us kind of reopen and my reopening is on hold and then some, and then some, and then some. So like every 21 days that goes by, that's just more and more, you know, resources that I'm losing. So obviously I'm not going to be super pumped about it, but you know, a part of me knows a lot of the reasoning behind like everything that's going on and, you know, the other part, like, I think many people definitely have some questions. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this, the pandemic from the get go has just been, it's been, it's, it's a moment in history, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some people have been able to thrive in it, some people have not, uh, some people have really struggled, some people have done very well. And I think it's, uh, it's something that's going to force us, I think, collectively as as a society and certainly as a people to take a look at the way things operate and how prepared we are uh, going forward. Um, you know, you made the pivot from, you know, the live gigs and and certainly bringing people into the studio. But, you know, before we went live here on the show, uh, we were in the quote unquote virtual green room <laughs> and talking a little bit about, you know, you were doing commercials now, which is to me is pretty wild. So tell me what that's about. Well, even when I was uh, back in school, it's what I really wanted to do, uh, even with the Specs Howard education and everything. It's what I actually wanted uh, to, to do for a career is uh, just a commercial production. And uh, we both have the same teacher, Bob Palmetier, I think, for the last quarter, right? And yeah. Bob uh, was like an avid musician, had a ton of guitars, and um, just made me a deal. He said, you listen, nobody else wants to use that studio but you. <laughs> so make everybody's commercials uh, for the end of school and come jam one of my new guitars every day 
for a half hour in my office and I'm happy. We worked with that. Uh, we had Pazman there too, Mark Pazman. It's like it, literally like a legendary Hall of Fame blues guitar player and just was like a teacher at our school. It was weird. Like it would, you can't really make up that experience, right? Um, anyways, so I got into it. Then, you know, I went to the radio station and I got hired as an on-air producer as opposed to an off-air producer, which is like all of the stress, <laughs> but half the reward, you know, <laughs> it's a tough gig. Um, and, but I always did want to do that production job, but it was like right around the same time as one man's opinion took fire, caught fire. Right. And, you know, the station was very fair about it. In my opinion, they said, listen, like, we know you got this other thing. We're going to do everything we can to accommodate it. But you know, the production jobs coming available and ended up giving it to uh, Will the Thrill, who's still, you know, thriving in that role over there. And I, I never had a problem with that because it made sense to me, but like, it is what I wanted to do. So recently um, I was, put in touch again with uh, Devin Pastorius, who's like owns a company called Windsor Creatives, you know, is a guitar player, hockey guy, just like me. And um, hey, he reached out and said, you do stuff like this? And I said, oh yeah, like it's literally what I went to school for. I'm a little bit rusty, but I'll do it. And so we've been doing these commercials and uh, I've been doing these uh, mixes on these DS60 commercials and just like mixing vocals on real estate ads and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's really like, it's technical work, you know, but for me, it's, it's kind of nice to depart from the music where like you have to like put in some artistry to it uh, on the mixing side, on the technical commercial side, like you just really have to be paying attention and it's a different kind of challenge and I love it. So we've been doing this stuff like that and did a few things for the 444 uh, this week and we'll see what comes of that. You know, there's no, there's no official uh, deal there, but I'm sure, um, I'm sure hoping for it. <laughs> Seems like where I go, but uh, it's just like uh, just a really different way to do my job, but like while still doing the same thing that I always do. Well, I, I wish you nothing but the best. I, I think you're incredibly talented. I, I can't wait until you're back in behind the mic in a live venue setting. Uh, I know you're doing some work with Bi uh, Big Wiggle, uh, and, and that's very exciting, right? I mean, you talk about, about a good party, man. Anniversary. Uh, we do have a little thing coming uh, with the Wiggle guys. Uh, we recorded a concert uh, here at the studio. Everybody's in their own room, and nice. uh, but like we did it live off the floor, and we we did it all ourselves with the help of our friend Mike Lesperance from Corbett. And um, we're super super pumped to present these to people. Uh, we're going to be putting out some details about it pretty pretty soon uh, because we're wrapping up the tail end of the production. But uh, yeah, so we do have some stuff coming out for the people, but yeah, it's been four years with that band. I still call that probably the smartest decision that I made like in the latter half of my musical career for sure. Like it just kind of tied so many things together. I mean, the, the, the guys themselves are legendary um, and it, it, it was such a well-oiled machine where I was so happy to just step in and, and try to just do my role. And I think, you know, like, obviously, like, we'll all agree that there's, there's things that are added when you bring a guy like me into the fold, but it's just cool group to work with. Those guys are like the pinnacle of professionalism, but also on the other flip of the coin of like, they know how to have fun in that job. And I oh, yeah. certainly have no regrets uh, making that leap. And I'm super, super pumped that I'm still there. <laughs> well, it's just funny because, you know, <laughs> big little... Uh, it's just uh, they're just synonymous, I think, with a good time in Windsor, Essex. And, uh, you know, when it comes to different, uh, you know, charity events, uh, they talk about different uh, outdoor festivals. You would be hard pressed not to find them on the card on a summer night 
during festival season here in the Windsor-Essex area. So, and that's got to be fun for you too, right? I mean, if you're up on stage at the Riverfront Festival Plaza and, you know, you've got about 1,500 people screaming ready to have a good time. Uh, that's like, I don't care if I'm playing originals or covers or whatever. Like, there's nothing like that experience. It's it, it's like the adrenaline that goes through your body to do a thing like that. And, you know, we're lucky with Wiggle where we get to do it, like, semi-regularly, right? So it's uh, there's, there's certainly been some events that are have been really stood out to me uh, with those guys. And, you know, the thing is that, like, that's theirs. Like, they, they produced that from the get-go. It, it's I walked into something that was already made, you know, and obviously I'm trying to do whatever I can to contribute to it, but I walked into something that was – already a big deal and i knew i i felt it right away because the the gig caliber of the crowds like you just get people all the time it's i i guess i've never really quite seen anything like it on a local level you know like I, you know the one man's thing it was kind of like that but it was you know spread out through townships in michigan i've never seen a band that like just could do it in one area and and stay relevant and um i think a lot of that is like there's a lot of work that goes into that a lot of work in keeping the set lists fresh. We're always trying to learn a new song that's coming out, you know, like the big one. And um, we do a very varied uh, stylings of music. And a lot of that comes with having three vocalists and just like the guys can play, you know, and that's what it really, really comes down to. The guys are good players, but um, it's like the machine. I'm like still learning. I, I, I think I'm just like, teach me sensei, like show me whatever you can do. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's like I'm four years into it, and I'm still like the the wisdom in in those guys is it's awesome. Well, uh, I wish you nothing but the best again, man. I think you're probably one of the most talented people I know, and uh, it's so good to reconnect with you and see that you and your family are flourishing and you're doing well and everybody's safe and healthy. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for all the kind words you've shown me and uh, the support you've given me and my family over the years too. It's uh, it's it's truly a pleasure to uh, to work with you in some capacity once again. Well, you're a good guy, man. And you do a lot of good things for the community. And honestly, like your draw shows it for itself. Like even just the sheer amount of people that tuned in tonight uh, just goes to show how important you are to what we do here. And um, if there's not the people like you talking about it, I don't know what we have. So, I mean, like you're an epic dude, man. And uh, and I think it's it's been very well exemplified um, through the commentary, you know, through the socials over the last little while. And um I, I mean, like, I was happy to see you land with our favorites at the Humane Society, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like. Yeah, shout out shout out to the Humane Society because I, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I've been there. I celebrated my first month there as director of development. And uh, I can't tell you how one dedicated the staff are. Um, and Melanie and, and the entire team are just such caring individuals. And, two, how excited I was to find out that Big Wiggle did the gala. And uh, <laughs> I, I know we're not doing a gala this year, but there's something coming. There's a, there's a pl plug for my new gig. There is something coming and it's going to be really cool. Um, so stay tuned. But uh, when I found out that, oh yeah, we were looking at the galas previous. Oh, well, I, did you know Big Wiggle? I know Big Wiggle very well. <laughs> I know Big Wiggle very well. So when we're safe to do so, uh, I will come a knocking for the animals and animal uh, advocates here in the Windsor-Essex area, sir. We're happy to hear that. <laughs> but yeah, man, like, not to take away, like honestly, like you, you do a lot for us and, and it's never gone unnoticed. And I mean, the reason that you have that draw in the community is because of the quality of, of your work and your message. So thank you so much for doing what you do. I'm, I'm super, super happy to have gotten to, to, you know, basically break the ice on this whole new project for you. Uh, no, it's, been, it's been a long time coming. 
I, I'll just leave it at that. This this show, you know, you talk about, you know, doing what you love to do. I, I love doing this stuff. This is why I used to work the hours I used to work in broadcast. Um, I like making connections like you. And uh, I know this is something I've, you and I have kicked around uh, for the last couple of years. So I'm, I, I'm finally in a position, I think, where I can do some some damage in, in a good way and and do this for the betterment of sort of the good news and and the profiling that needs to happen, uh, positive profiling in the Windsor Essex area. So, we need a ton of it, man. <laughs> yeah, especially during these these strange times we live in. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Um, I appreciate you. Tell everybody in Big Wiggle I said hello. Uh, we'll be following along. <laughs> oh, I hope so. And uh, again, I'll be coming knocking soon, and I'm going to have you back on the show perhaps towards the end of the summer. We'll, we'll we'll circle back and see what's going on. Maybe at that point you can get a couple of the guys if it's safe to do so, and maybe we do some jamming. I don't know. Just kind of yeah, once I, once I learn the stream lab, uh, the stream yard uh, thingamajig, I, I'd like to experiment with that for sure. Uh, it's just, yeah, today we talked about the jam moms and I before off the air, but it's just like it's a new streaming service for me. And those live streams that you guys are watching from people, they're really hard to make. They're hard. Like it's like unnecessarily hard. So appreciate them. <laughs> it's, and and it, it's funny too because this live stream technology is something I'm I'm looking into for some of my uh, my my uh, consulting I do for Royal LePage too, and uh, this is something I wanted to take a look at in terms of where we can go. So I, I'm happy it worked out tonight, and we've got some pretty good response. So once again, if people want to ho hook up with you, they want to find out more about the band, they want to find out more about you know Highland Studios. Uh, we've been pumping the website, we've been pumping the Facebook page. They can contact you, right? Absolutely. I'm always open. I, you know, to a fault, I'm always with my phone. <laughs> so, you know, easy got to get a hold of on any of those uh, things. I always check my networks um, just because things come in through so many different mediums. So you got to be on it. It's about right. it. <laughs> okay, brother. Stay safe. Thanks for joining me for my first ever arms boom and leg project way to set the bar man it's like this high now this high <laughs> yeah right thank you man this is awesome this is a great experience and uh, i'm very impressed with this whole setup that you got going on so thanks a lot for having me anytime look me showed and he is a solid individual musician extraordinaire lead singer of big wiggle owner operator of highland studios and he is the first ever member of the arms boom and leg project this is a live stream that will hopefully become a podcast uh, over the next little bit where we're highlighting stories, people, connections in Windsor-Essex with a positive lens and some good news for the region. I'm Arms Women Lag. Have a fantastic night, folks. Thanks for participating in the discussion. Take care of yourself. Mm -hmm.